Welcome to Starting the Conversation, the podcast which is set to communicate and celebrate the real life narrative of running a business. If we haven't been introduced before, hello, my name is Alice. I'm a digital marketing coach based in the UK and I'm also the host of this podcast. There's nothing I enjoy more than talking about the often unspoken sides of being an entrepreneur and sitting down in conversation with others who get it. We all know that running a business and being self-employed can be a pretty lonely and consuming experience sometimes. So it's my intention that these episodes bring a bit of community and encouragement to what you're doing. In today's episode, I'll be sitting down with Julia Day, who's a financial coach, to discuss what it really looks like to master the financial side of being self-employed and running a business. So if you're ready to hear from an expert and discover our stories of pricing ourselves, paying tax and creating boundaries with non-paying clients, then keep listening. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to episode number 29. Um, I just wanted to say before I jump into today's episode how glad I am how well last week's episode went down where I talked all about what it's looked like for me to become conscious of the money in my business and how I make, spend and save it. Um, I've genuinely loved all the conversations that I've been having with all of you off the back of it. Um, It's been really interesting to see how that's resonated with people, how it's challenged people, how it's shifted people's mindsets. And I'm just really glad that it went down. It's actually the most listened to episode so far and it's only been up five days. So that's really encouraging actually that a topic which in my mind is something that's really important to talk about is obviously something that you guys want to listen to. So thank you. If you're one of the people who shared it on your Instagram stories or sent me some information about it or joined in on the conversation in some way, thank you for doing that because to me that's what this podcast is about. Um, It was really interesting actually to know how that episode impacted people. Quite a few people told me that off the back of it they made investments in their business that they had been putting off for a while or wanting to do for a while, which to me is really exciting because if you listen to that episode you'll know just how fundamental making investments has been for me in terms of seeing a shift in my business and seeing more traction, especially financially in terms of clients. Um, I'm so glad that quite a few people signed up to the coven after it. That's really encouraging. I can't wait to see you all in there. Um, Quite a few people shared with me on my feed what their kind of biggest lessons have been in terms of the financial side of running a business. Um, Quite a few people said to me that their biggest thing was the whole save 25% your tax I mean that's very important and in this episode you're going to hear what happened when I didn't do that which will hopefully deter you from ever not putting away that 25% from your invoices to go to HMRC Um, a lot of people you know just saying it was a real breath of fresh air and that they were really glad that someone was talking about it so thank you for those responses and thank you for joining in on the conversation and not just leaving me talking into a microphone by myself because that's a bit lame isn't it Anyway, if you loved last week's episode, then let me tell you, you are going to really love this week's episode because as I mentioned last week, it's a two-part series. I know, I feel a bit like Shane Dawson at the moment, although his is an eight-part series and I think it's a bit more popular than this podcast. But anyway, I feel quite cool doing a a two-part series. So last week was my experience of money and becoming conscious of it. And this week is a guest episode with Julia Day, who I absolutely love. She's a financial coach. She does one-on-one coaching and online courses. And she is incredible when it comes to talking about money. She not only knows her stuff, but she speaks in a language that you understand. She totally gets small businesses. And she's genuinely just a really, really lovely person. I was nervous in this episode that when I confessed my tax problems and the mistakes that I'd made that she would 
laugh at me or shun me, but the reality is she is very, very kind and sees everything as an opportunity just to share and to help people understand. So when I thought about doing some episodes about money, I knew that I wanted to get Julia in, both to bring, bring that bit of expertise, but also just to hear from her perspective, kind of what we can do as business owners to become a lot more conscious of how money moves and kind of interacts within our businesses. So we just sat down for a good old conversation. It was not the most structured conversation in the world. We did go off on a few tangents, but we pretty much covered it all the basics in terms of financially running a business. We talked about fluctuating income, how much savings we'd advise you to have when you first start out, what it looks like to budget for tax returns, and my real life story of what it looks like when you don't do that, um, how to charge your worth and kind of find the balance between charging what your clients can afford and charging what you feel you're worth, um, pricing up things which aren't physical when you're service-based, uh, creating boundaries with people who aren't clients so that your clients still get value from you and you don't just give it away for free and she even shared at the end which I'd encourage you if you are halfway through keep on listening to the end because at the end Julia shared some really good tips for getting invoices paid which I know is something that we all struggle with so it's a really great episode full of a lot of expertise full of a lot of just us rambling on about random things but I think very interesting off the back of last week's episode hopefully it's going to give you some more practical tips for you to implement in terms of the financial side of your business so I will let you listen to the episode now, but be sure to head to alicebenham.co.uk forward slash Julia to get connected with all that she does and all that she offers and kind of find her off the back of this episode. But yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I'll just press play. Okay. I don't really like starting with the classic welcome to the podcast because I feel like it's really fake because we've already been talking for like yeah. an hour. <laughs> I was, to be fair, I used to do that and probably will still continue to do that forever. Yeah. Um, but I tend to just start by saying hi. I literally hate the stuff, but then as soon as they're going, I just forget. This yeah, it feels awkward, doesn't it? Oh, anyway, Julia, for anyone who doesn't already know you, or know what you do, or know about your podcast, or anything else, give us a bit of an introduction. Um, I'm Julia, I am a financial coach, and I run Easy As That, where basically I make the, there's no diplomatic way to say this, the boring stuff about <laughs> running a business, and um, I help people to do that. So things like accounting, dealing with tax, um, setting the right prices, um, and I do that through one-to-one coaching sessions. I run a course a few times a year, which kind of covers everything financial that you need to know. Um, I post a lot on my blog, a lot of like how-tos, and I run a podcast as well, which is called Easy Numbers. You're a financial coach, money is a big part of business, so mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about the boring stuff, as you say. <laughs> I like that you acknowledge that it's boring, you're not like, let's make numbers fun. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought about doing that when I started, and then I was like, no, because it's not fun, and like, I think the more that you kind of acknowledge, like, it's not fun, but it's something that you have to do. Yeah. So you just kind of make it as easy and as quick as possible, especially because I usually work with like creative kind of people and I'm quite creative myself, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it gives them like more time. So to do the creative stuff rather yeah. than, because a lot of the time like it puts people off running a business because they think, I don't know how to deal with any of that like mm-hmm. corporate business stuff. And actually it's less sort of, overwhelming than it seems at first yeah and I guess it's such a necessary part of running a business it's hard yeah. to run away from so I guess it's just being like oh, we've got to talk about it sometimes so just kind of yeah get over and done with so I guess today we haven't really got a script or an agenda but I would just love to talk honestly about mm-hmm. our experiences of the finances in our businesses 
um, all the things that we don't talk about ever because for some reason we're British. <laughs> yeah. We don't like talking about money unless it's in like a very positive way. Yeah. Or whether it's to sell a course and say that we've made six figures. Yes, I made six business. figures from sitting at my laptop and watching Gilmore Girls. Whenever people do watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not true. At least it's definitely not true for us. No. We can attest We do to that. work. <laughs> we do. And we don't earn six figures. That's one the confession day. to start the episode. So I guess my hope for this episode is that we'll just A, break some taboos, and yeah. B, for anyone starting out, or that isn't very like confident in the financial side of their business, will leave with a bit of A, they're not alone in being scared of it and having mm-hmm. problems with it, but also, I guess, some practical help. Yeah. You're the expert here, so I won't pretend that I know a lot about money. Um, <laughs> and just, I guess, share a bit from both of our experiences of what we've learned along the way. Cool. So I guess I'll start with you. So obviously you're a financial coach yes. and you offer courses. So you have a lot of experience working one-on-one with people yeah. in terms of the finances in their business. What do you say, would you say is like one of the big elements of money in a business that you see people struggling with? Um, definitely tax. But I think that once most people sort of have an idea of what they need to do, that's less of an issue. Mm. I think it's very much like a mindset thing because I think a lot of us just like the wall goes up as soon as we start thinking about all those like businessy kind of parts of business. Mm. Um, obviously pricing, as you probably know yourself as a business owner, it's mm. quite, it's a difficult obstacle course. Yeah, and it's so different for everyone. That's what I struggle with with pricing is that there's no, well, I mean, obviously there's not, but there's no guide of like, here's what it's normal to price if you offer this or if yeah. you sell this. And obviously it's so different if you're service-based or product-based mm-hmm. or if it's a course and a digital thing or if it's your time, like there's so many elements involved that it's really hard to know. Yeah, and like most people kind of go the logical way about it, which is well, it cost me this much to make it or to provide mm. the service, and I want to make X amount of profit, or I need this much to live, so that's how much I'm going to charge. But you also have to think about like what your customers want and who you're trying to appeal to because they don't really care how much work you put into it and they don't really care how long it's taken you because what they actually care about is like the value that you're providing yeah. to them as opposed to this took me like five hours to make so you have to pay <laughs> it's difficult isn't it because it's I've, when I was thinking about this episode I was just thinking it's a balance between charging what you're worth yeah but also charging the value of what you're giving yeah and I think in an ideal world both of those would be the same number but I think often they're not yeah and like for me charging my worth probably wouldn't be a price that a lot of my clients could afford yeah so I've had to find a medium between what I feel is worthwhile for what I'm giving but also value adding for the client yeah and I think it's so important to know who your client is and like what they value and what they actually want and Mm. kind of put across how you're going to give that to them in your pricing and in like your sort of product description or your service description so like you can say oh I can make your website rank higher in google with seo but actually what does that mean like does it mean they get more website visits does it mean they sell more Mm. does it mean they make more money with less effort and they can spend more time with their family like you've got to think about that as opposed to this is the thing that I do yeah and I think that's a real shift of mindset but it's really important of not Mm. marketing something from the perspective of here's what I'm giving you but actually here's the value it's adding because I think as soon as we see both investments that we make in our business and ourselves and what we offer in that way it just changes the way we interact with money because it's no longer like I must hold on to it, I must keep it, I must make loads. Yeah. It comes and goes, and actually I think, like we said this before we started recording, you have to invest and spend money in order to get it back. And I think yeah. it's seeing money in that way as opposed to seeing it as something that we've got to, you know, grab on tight to and keep really yeah. safe. And I think when I first started, like when I first went full-time in my business in January, 
I was very much of that like no I need to keep this money I need to pay rent yeah. and I wasn't thinking about it as well if I invest it I will make it back in my business and that really kind of it's prevented me from like firstly doing things that would make me more money because I use that as like a crutch to like not do the things mm. I was scared to do um but also it meant that like I don't know like I wasn't making as much money because I was concentrating on like clinging to this money that I had rather than investing in things that would make my business better yeah because you started I think I recall correctly from a podcast episode of yours your podcast host as well yeah I don't know if you said that in the intro you have a great podcast all about money um and I remember you saying in one episode about your like when you started out you obviously came from a corporate job yeah so you had some savings mm. and I remember I really loved your answer because someone had asked you know what do I, maybe it was on your Instagram oh, live yeah it was. and someone had said yeah. you know sh- how much savings should I have when I go self-employed and you obviously said you know your experience was that you saved mm. but you wouldn't necessarily there's no right or wrong but that you kind of said you wouldn't necessarily advise doing that because it becomes a bit of a crutch for you yeah and like it depends what kind of person you are I I have always been quite an anxious person so I do get scared to sort of I would be really terrified to not be able to pay my rent I'm very independent and I like to know that I can like pay all my bills and Mm. do that kind of thing actually when I left I had I think I had about five grand um which even up north is not a long time can I just say I love that you said a figure thanks I think often (laughs) we just say like I don't think even we do it consciously. I realise I've just interrupted you. I'm really sorry. No, it's okay. But I think often <laughs> we don't even do it consciously, but we just don't say numbers. Whether it's like how much we make. Obviously, we don't always want to wear how much we make. But even like I have this much in savings or I spent this much on this. We're just, I think we're, it's in our mindset not to talk openly about that. Yeah. And actually, as I said it, I was like, shall I just say I had some savings? Yeah. But I was like, no, I'm going to say it. So ideally, I probably would have had about 10 grand, but actually, who even knows if I would have quit at that point? Because mm-hmm. the actual reason that I quit was because I was having a really bad time at work um, mm-hmm. and it just got to the point where, like, I would have, I don't know, I, like, I was really, like, mentally unwell and if, or I was sort of getting to that point and if I'd stayed in that job, yeah, it would have been really, really bad for me. Um, so, yeah, so I had five grand. Um, it doesn't, you know, get you that far nowadays so I'm really old I'm not especially old. when you're paying rent though yeah and like you know rent is so expensive um so yeah I had that figure and that lasted me sort of I think it was like three or four months um but yeah like I think sometimes if you a lot of people that I work with have actually been made redundant redundant even um, <laughs> And that's why they ended up leaving. They just kind of got pushed rather than they made the leap. Yeah. Um, or, like, they've just kind of had a bit of a tantrum, should we say, <laughs> and they've quit their job. Yeah. Um, and they ca- it's, like, sort And then of, suddenly the next day they're like, shit. Yeah, it's make or break. And actually, I really love reading those stories. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think sometimes that pressure where you're like, right, if I don't make money from this and give it my all, then I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Yeah. I think sometimes that actually really helps because it lights the fire under you and it doesn't let you kind of sit back on your... Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So, looking back, I guess it's not good to have regrets or say that you changed anything, but would you do you think something would have changed if you didn't have those savings there and you had a bit more of a kind of urgency about what you were yeah, doing? Yeah, I think I would because I'm, like, I'm quite maybe not shy but like quite introverted so for Mm. me speaking to people takes a lot of energy um and I think I would have really kind of thought no I need to get out there I need to like start offering things straight away rather than I kind of thought about a lot of stuff 
um with my course i kind of took like three months to launch it um whereas like i've just sort of relaunched it again for like the next round um about two weeks ago and i literally thought on the friday before i launched it i was like i'm gonna relaunch it and like sort of change it up a bit based on the feedback yeah so it literally took me sort of three days to put it all together rather than like three months isn't it fascinating how much we can achieve when we are set to a schedule it's like that idea that a task takes how long you give it and i think yeah you don't often have that urgency you can just take a long time not because of laziness often it's it's just you fill in the time yeah Yeah. and you just think oh well i've got three months of money so i'll take three i I think we often give ourselves the idea that the more time you spend working on something the better it's going to be yeah and often that might be true but i think it does get to a point where you're just like perfect or not it needs to get into the world yeah exactly and sometimes if you just put it out and you like make a mistake with it at least you know and you you're less attached to the outcome because if you just do something straight away like you've kind of done it and you can move on if if it doesn't work out and if it does work out obviously you can sort of you know take advantage of that Mm. um but it just means that if i think i can't remember who said it but someone said like like fail faster yeah because the more like mistakes you make and the more failures you have the more successes you'll have and the quicker you'll reach them i'm such a believer in that especially financially yeah i think like i like i said to you i'm supposedly halfway to becoming an accountant and I have had like the worst mistakes in tax like I literally and I didn't think I was gonna say I was like oh should I share this story but then I was like well you're sharing openly and I wanted this episode to be like actually honest and open so I go kind of had a really opposite experience to you in the sense that I didn't have any savings Mm -hmm. went straight into being self-employed thankfully made enough money um and obviously saved a lot of that money uh, for my tax return yeah so I'd obviously saved up a lot of money for my tax return I think mm. it was due to be kind of around the 10 grand mark which is ridiculous amounts of money and disgusting yeah. that we need to save that much money I know it's um, crazy <laughs> so I had that money in savings um, and then I took six months off work mm-hmm. so I took six months off and spent all those savings yeah and it came around to January and I no longer had that money in my yeah. account because I'd taken six months off work and i spent my savings yeah um and I was just in this place of like I have no clue what to do and the worst thing is for three months I did nothing yeah so I let the fees add up which I could talk in deep I understand HMRC like no one else because I've been on the phone (laughs) for hours like why do I owe you that much money again um but I think that I felt shame and I thought that I'd failed because I couldn't pay a tax bill and I felt so intimidated by it and it was just this big it's almost like this like looming monster that yeah, I'd it's horrible. feel really happy this sounds really dramatic but I'd feel really happy and I suddenly remember like oh crap I owe this much money and yeah it's increasing this much every single day and I was so scared of it mm. and I remember the day early this year I just paid it off and it was such a freeing moment of like a that was the first day I told anyone else what had gone on yeah so I'd kept it really private because there's this weird shame surrounded with money and not having it and not being responsible with it but also just because I didn't know what to say I didn't like there's nothing out there which just explains like it's okay to make those mistakes but here's what you need to do yeah and everyone Um, does that yeah I think we have no clue how many like even when it comes to tax tax is so bloody confusing yeah but once you get it it feels like the simplest thing yeah like there's people who've done tax returns for years and like they start making quite a bit of money and they don't realize that now what HMRC does is they make you pay payments on account twice a year. Yes, that so. caught me out. Can you explain mm. payments on account to anyone else who doesn't? Because they yes. are an absolute pain if you don't expect them. <laughs> so basically, if you owe more than a thousand pounds in tax and national insurance, then um, 
you have to pay half of your tax bill on the 31st of January. So, you know, when your actual tax bill from the yeah. year you've just done a tax return for is due and also on the 31st of July. Um, and it's not for no reason. It's so that supposedly you can pay less towards your next year's yeah. tax bill. So they're assuming that next year's tax bill You'll is going to be more. the same, if not more. Yeah. So in theory, say I owe three grand mm. for my January, next coming January. Yeah. They will then charge me 4,500 yes. by January 31st. And, and then, then again. in the next month, I owe 1,500. Yeah. So by you'd have to pay that an, another 1,500 yeah. by the 31st of July. And, and then, I think that's what really caught me out. I just yeah. didn't expect it. It's hard to explain. And even as an accountant, I found it quite hard to get my head around. Because mm. it's quite a new thing. Um, so I didn't learn about it in my exams. I learned about it, like, through my job. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I, it's so hard to explain. Um, and I don't think that HMRC can even explain it, like, no. very well. Because... And it's unexpected. Because yeah. tax almost works, obviously, a year ahead. Yeah. So you kind of... Are, just in my head I was like oh I only owe that money and then suddenly it was like oh you owe double that yeah throughout this year um, and you're like why and then it's like this it, I feel like with HMRC because you have to remember like HMRC the people you speak to on the phone they're not accountants and they're not tax experts yeah they are customer service people basically so um it's kind of like I used to work in the home home-based call center and I didn't really have any expertise <laughs> in like tables yeah. See, so someone would be like, "Could you tell me about the wood on this table?" And I'd just yeah. be like, on the website, like, yeah. "Well, <laughs> looks like it's made out of MDF." <laughs> but yeah, so um, it's hard for them to explain as well. Yeah. Um, and the whole system could be done a bit better, really, to because it's not like they tell you about it really until you've done your tax return. No. They tell you about it if you got it wrong. Yes. But you don't. They're very keen to tell you then. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the thing I found difficult is that there's no real guidance. Yeah. And I think I was in that place of thinking, I don't want to pay an accountant because mm. I was kind of qualified to do my accounts myself. Yeah. But there's not a lot of training out there that helps small businesses mm. and kind of to actually, like, not dumb it down, but just make sense. Just make a human. Like, I think that's the kind of heart of what I'm trying to do is, like, because I think if you think of an accountant, like, what do you think of? Like an absolutely dull middle-aged man in an office who I don't understand and who is probably mansplaining to me. Exactly. <laughs> so I think what I'm trying to do is be like, look, here I am. I'm a girl in my twenties. Um, I have lots of other interests. Yeah. Um, I just want to show that it's like try and make it more human and more mm. sort of putting it into plain English rather than complicating it. Because sometimes on the HMRC website, I feel like. I can read it and understand it because I've got that background but I think someone who just had become self-employed and needed to do a tax return it would just make no sense whatsoever and it would make you feel really like overwhelmed yeah I know I mean I was filing my tax return the other day and all the questions they ask you I was just googling words because I was yeah. like what does this thing mean like I feel like I know finances quite well but there was these questions about you know the interest I've received and like different types of interest I was like I have no clue yeah and it's just so many yeah it is that thing of like I think if you want to do it yourself mm. you do benefit from getting the kind of expertise from someone else to help you because I've definitely experienced firsthand what happens when you don't quite fully understand it and yeah. it does bite you in the arse a little bit yeah and I think as well like a lot of the stuff in your tax return like that you would know if you owed it but because yeah. they don't say that they just sent me a letter like, oh. like three months ago that was mm. like you owe thousands of charges I can't even remember how much it was because it was such a big tax bill yeah and I think I think the way it works correct me if I'm wrong you can pay late up to three months yes. and it's a hundred pounds yeah. which I think is not that bad 
Yeah, and I did say that to someone once. I was like, if you really can't pay, it's £100. Mm. And you obviously should then pay it within the three months. Yeah. Um, and then I think from that point onwards, it's kind of like a percentage. Yeah. Or whichever one's higher, it's either like £10 a day or it's a percentage based on how much you owe. Yeah, and also added. they, if they find you, like say you got it wrong rather than sort of paid it late, they yeah. have like, it's kind of incremental. So if it was clearly like you were trying to pull the wall over their eyes and you didn't tell them, then they'll charge you more than if it was like a genuine mistake. Or if it's a genuine mistake and you haven't told them, they'll charge you more than if you've made a mistake and you've told them and let them Got know. Got it. A lot of the time as well, they will actually, if you've made a mistake, they'll let you off if it's yeah. like your first time. My experience of HMRC has actually been brilliant. I've obviously, they're a bit confusing. Yeah. But every time I phoned up, they've been so helpful and they lifted the charges because I explained like, I had depression and I spent my savings and blah, blah, blah. blah. And they were just like they lifted the charges instantly and just said, "Look, just pay yeah. what you owed originally, and that's fine." Yeah. Um, but I think it is that thing of like money is something in our business that we can't avoid. Yeah. And tax within money, it's just so much better just to get it right rather than like you say the kind of charges or penalties for not quite doing it. Yeah. The right way. I think that because you've spoken to them, obviously you've benefited from that. Whereas like a lot of people would put it off and put it off and put it off. Yeah, which is what I did to you for about six months. <laughs> and then rather than sort of saying, do you know what, fair enough, you've come to us, you've told us you've got a problem. Yeah. It was a genuine mistake. They'd be like, why didn't you tell us this six months ago? Yeah. Um, I remember them saying that. They were so like, it why does benefit you more? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was scared. But it's weird, isn't it? I think we have that fear because we just don't, we're not very educated. And also yeah. it's not normal to talk openly about money and particularly money troubles. Yeah. When you're a small business owner, I think often we equate failure to not having enough money but I don't know if those two are linked yeah I feel that there's like a huge contrast in like small businesses and like there's the really broke freelancers and there's like you know the super like rich CEO kind of people yeah the people that work for two hours a day and so yeah make the, six the four hour work week and all yeah. that um, which I'm sure you know is a real thing but um, not at the beginning for sure uh-huh. um, but yeah I think people kind of tell themselves this story I guess mm. and they feel like well um I have to be like a struggling artist or I don't want to sell out yeah um or they're like super super focused on the money and they work so much that they have all this money but no time to yeah. spend it and enjoy it because it goes both ways doesn't it there yeah. can be almost some shame or like I don't know what the right word is but surrounding making a lot of money yeah totally. that can feel like a thing that you're kind of oh I'm not worthy to make this much or yeah. other people aren't making this much or whatever but then it goes the other way in terms of feeling bad for not making enough so you're kind of damned yeah. and I think especially for women for some reason I think we feel a bit weird about making a lot of money I guess because it's only sort of the last 50 years where women have started to have careers and stuff so yeah. it's still very new to us um not to generalize or anything I know there's a lot of women out there who are like super kind yeah. of open and about wanting to make money and being really ambitious um, and I'm definitely one of those people but at the same time I understand um, it can seem like a burden and I think that when women are open about wanting to make money we can be made seem greedy or like quite cold yes it's um, like women that are strategic yeah they're like manipulative and like um like snidey yeah. whereas men that are strategic are like businessmen and they're leaders and it's just funny yeah the kind of narrative that we speak of women that's very different to men yeah like if you look at um say like so richard branson he's cool he's made a lot of mistakes though and he's had a lot of failed businesses and people still think you know he's just a cool like casual kind of guy 
um, myself included. But if you look at, say, Sophia Amoruso, who wrote Girl Boss and also was the CEO of Nasty Girl, as soon as she did something wrong, she got absolutely like demonized yeah. for it. And actually, at that point, she wasn't even the CEO of her company, but someone else had been brought in and they were sort of not treating the staff very well. And then obviously, it, it, I think it went bankrupt. Um, I think that's what happened anyway, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but she got like so villainized as soon as anyone could find something bad about her. Yeah. Um, and that's one failure and she's like what 34 it's not like she's got like a huge like you know long list of like failures or anything like mm. that it was the first one people jumped on it and were like oh who do you think you are kind of thing yeah and you wonder if it holds people back from starting a business that fear of like because it is a very public thing mm. when you start with particularly i guess it doesn't have to be public but particularly if you're using any form of digital marketing like you are public you're online you're putting your face out there yeah and i guess the second you make a step forward in terms of launching something or starting something you then put yourself in a vulnerable position yeah and uh, we talked about this earlier that idea of you know like nothing's ever going to be perfect to start and I think Mm -hmm. you have to be okay with just putting one foot forward yeah and whatever happens happens but regardless you still still taken one step forward from where you were yeah Um, but it is that weird yeah it's can sometimes feel intimidating can't it yeah like I think I like to think I don't care what people think about me but I really do um but like I think in terms of like self-promotion especially it's hard because you don't Mm. want to do it too much you don't want people to think you're like greedy and also in terms of Facebook every time I share something I've done on Facebook my website gets loads of hits but then because Facebook is somewhere it's like you know my family old school friends yeah random people that have added me off for a night out um, it feels like really like so much more exposed than posting on instagram because that's my personal sort mm. of i don't really see it as a platform i guess it, but it's more of a, a personal network as opposed to instagram mm-hmm. where on instagram most people who follow me are other small businesses so they get it yeah and we understand what it is to yeah. A, charge your worth and B, talk about it. Yeah, but also if someone, if I found out someone was like, kind of talking about me behind my back from Facebook, being like, who do you think she is? I'd just be like, I don't know you and I don't care what you think about me and I'm running a business, what are you doing? Yeah, and it is that, I, I think everyone has to have that shift at some point of just being like, screw it, here's what I do, here's what I offer and I'm going to be kind of proud of that and okay with that. Yeah, and it makes you less judgmental as a person as well because you think, well, I've struggled to post this so actually this person's posted something that I find annoying but I understand that they're doing it for them, not me. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. So obviously we're both, you've got a mix of kind of incomes. Yes. If we can talk about incomes. Yeah, I'm not going to ask how much you make, don't worry. Um, <laughs> you obviously have serviced base so similar yeah. to me one-on-one coaching packages mm. but you also offer like digital products yeah which i think is something we don't often talk about in terms of pricing there's a lot mm. of equations out there for when you offer a physical product and i'm sure people can google those and find them how to work out what to yeah. charge for a card or a candle holder but what was your process when it came to offering digital things that you obviously create once but sell time and time again how did you find that pricing wise um i think it was kind of it wasn't such a big kind of risk for me with that because I made my course and then my digital product is basically the resources from the course. So it's kind of like, obviously the course is a lot more expensive because you get the resources and I'm telling you exactly how to use them all. Uh-huh. If you just buy the resources, obviously I'm not sort of telling you how to do it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I guess with the digital product, I just like thought like, 
how much would people be willing to pay for this and then I sort of I kind of messed around with the price a few times until it got to a price where a lot of people were kind of like buying it at that price and I was like okay I'm not going to change it now because obviously that's sort of the um the sweet spot I guess like Mm. I didn't want to have it super expensive because I wanted it to be accessible to small business owners um but I also didn't want to have it so cheap that people just downloaded it and forgot about it yeah that's so true yeah and I think I've definitely had the experience of when I've ever offered anything for free Mm. or for very cheap or for discounted I can 100% tell you that those clients have had a far different attitude to the ones that have paid full price for me yeah totally and I think I wish I'd known that early on the amount of people that I did things for for free or I just offered to you know quote unquote help them out or have a chat the relationship they had with what I was offering was so different to the people who were paying because they just didn't value it in the same way yeah I think we don't always realize that that actually there is a part of pricing which is about the person who's paying for it valuing it yeah and putting the work in that's required for it to give them the value that they're paying for yeah because if you pay like so my coaching sessions now are 197 pounds if you're paying that kind of money what's that for that's for like a 90 minute coaching session um you do get like resources and stuff and um i sort of check in and you get like 60 days of support um but the kind of primary Mm-hmm. aim is to do that session and work out whatever issues you've got yeah um so that's 197 pounds obviously that's quite a lot especially because a lot of the businesses i work with are just starting out so they are watching the pennies but it's not so expensive that the price out but it's expensive enough that they want to get that value out of it yeah um i used to do them for 50 pounds <laughs> um, which seems crazy now but when i first started i was just i never thought that people would want to just have a chat about their finances yeah so someone just was sort of like can we hop on skype and do this and i was like yeah sure and they were like how much should i pay you and i was like 50 pounds thinking that was like outrageous and they were going to be like yeah and then i realized i did that for a bit and then i realized that actually it took me like a whole day to prepare for these calls so i was thinking oh it's just 50 pounds an hour it wasn't it was 50 pounds a day and that wasn't really sustainable yeah that's so true actually it's seeing it as a whole picture thing Mm-hmm. And even if you're offering something which is very structured, like a one-on-one session, mm-hmm. acknowledging how much more time goes into it than just that hour or just that 90 minutes. Yeah, and it's like, you look back and you think, oh, that was silly of me. But at the yeah. time, you do genuinely just think. But obviously, especially when you're starting out, you want to provide so much value that people will sort of um, give you testimonials and stuff and they will really feel that they've got their money's worth and... I hope that most people carry on doing that throughout their business, but I think particularly at the start, you're really nervous about it, so you yeah. over-prepare a bit. I think most people, it's, it, when they talk about their story with pricing themselves, would tell a kind of season within that where they've undercharged. Yeah. And where like, I look back and just actually cringe. At <laughs> I remember I was actually the other day just doing, like I said, my tax return for 2017 to 2018. Yeah. Um, and even some of the invoices that I was putting through at the kind of the start of that tax year, I just kind of laughed at them. I was like... The amount of value that was giving yeah. and the little amount I was charging for that. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons why we sometimes undercharge. I think, like you said, sometimes you do just need to make some money. And I actually yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have offered things for free mm-hmm. because I've needed testimonials. Or I've, yeah. just, I've been desperate just to do something and I've had no yeah. client working and I've just thought, screw it. I'd rather work with someone yeah. and give it to them for free than just sit around all day and hope for someone to pay. 
Um, but I do think there's a lot of reasons why we undercharge and a lot of it is not quite knowing the value that we're giving and being okay with it. Yeah. Like, I think we've all had that scary moment where you send off an email that says, you know, this is going to cost this much, thinking that they're going to come back and tell us we're ridiculous. But often yeah. they just go, all right, I've paid your invoice. And I just go, really? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, that we have that? Yeah, like you have relationship, yeah, of like someone's going to come back and be like how dare you charge this much yeah. no one would do that like the worst that happens is someone will like blank your email and that's yeah. it but I think doing things for free can be really beneficial because your payment is essentially like that feedback so you can improve and you yeah. can get testimonials um and I've definitely done that and I'd encourage especially if someone's sort of starting out um and they're really new and they're still in a job um, mm. while they've still got that steady income to kind of get some experience but put a number on it and say I'm not going to do any more free sessions than this yeah. because um, I was talking to one of my friends and she said she realised she was booked out but every single session was a free one um, and then she was like right I need to start charging uh-huh. and it is it's, I do think there's actually often a really good thing about giving away some free sessions but like you said it's creating a structure around it in yeah. a way that you ensure it's still being beneficial for you whilst it's obviously giving someone someone else yeah and I I think as well yeah it can be a good way to get an idea of pricing because you can say like always ask for feedback obviously and say how much would you have paid for this obviously it's slightly different because they haven't paid for it Mm -hmm. um so they can't say for sure I would have paid this much but it's if the numbers are sort of similar yeah you can get a good sort of grasp on how Mm. much people will be willing to pay for it yeah but there's a fine line between Mm. and I really want to talk about this because it's something that (laughs) Oh my gosh, I think we all experience, especially as service-based businesses, service-based mm. people who are coaches or educators, that there is such a fine line between offering stuff for free in, mm. like you said, a structured way that is intended to grow your testimonials or get your name out there or even yeah. just as a nice thing to do. And there's a fine line between that and just giving away everything you offer for free because someone else has asked it. Yeah. So you talked about this on your Instagram stories the other day. Do yeah. you want to tell a bit more of, <laughs> A, I guess the story behind that and B yeah just share more Um, so basically I get a lot of Instagram messages with people sort of asking me questions and stuff which is great and I'm always very happy to answer them Um, unfortunately what I also get sometimes is someone will basically want something that's going to take a lot of my time um, and sort of a lot of preparation and in those cases what I do is say um, I'll point them in the direction of a blog post that can help them out or I'll say, yep, yeah, I'm really happy to help you with that. You can book a session with me here. Here's yeah. a link to my calendar. Um, and by that, I mean a paid session. Um, although I don't say that, I just say, this is how much it costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've found a lot is most people will either book a session or they'll say, a bit much for me at the moment. And, you know, we'll get on our way. What I also get sometimes is really like snidey messages where they'll be like, well, I'm a small business. I can't afford to pay for that. And it really like, riles me up because firstly it makes me feel like a horrible person for not helping them out for free which I shouldn't feel like because I'm in business and I have to make money yeah and secondly it annoys me because they're a small business who they should know exactly why they shouldn't be expecting another small business to do something for them for free like yeah if I kind of you know went on Etsy and found like a product that I really liked I would never dream of messaging someone and being like oh could you send me this for free but for some reason or can you send me the direct instructions for how you made it 
at yeah. least to everything that you bought for it. Yeah, well, for some reason, people think it's okay if you offer a service, I guess, because it's more of an intangible business. Yeah, and I think that's part of why we struggle to value ourselves. Mm. And I'm not saying by any means that product-based businesses don't face this, but obviously my own experiences with kind of a service-based business is that it's really hard to put a figure next to something that's not tangible yeah and something that there's really no direct expense involved in yeah and I guess that's part of why and you can understand it from people's perspective why you know it's just an Instagram message or it's just a question yeah but it when it's five a day or ten a day and like I genuinely take like really struggle to answer all my DMs yeah. and it's not because I get a lot I'm just really bad at it yeah. and I feel awful when someone's asked something and I've not been able to help them yeah. but the second I take a step back I just realise that I spend hours every single week creating podcast episodes and downloads and whatever else I make and that's incredible free content mm. but there's somewhere that we have to draw the line when it comes to what we're creating is free and there to offer but actually there's something that we have to keep A for ourselves but also for our paying clients. Yeah, and I think it really would undermine um, the value that you bring to your paying clients if mm. you offer something that they've paid for to for free to someone else. Yeah. Um, my friend Charlotte, who runs Blog and Beyond, which is a really cool website to like help bloggers, she kind of messaged me back after I put that out, and she said, um, "I will tell people like the why of like why they should be doing something." um and like sort of answer general questions but when it comes to the how that is where I draw the line and that's where I charge and I think that's a really good boundary to have yeah I think I'd be the same in terms of I'll tell people something that's very kind of fundamental and would be true for anyone Mm. but when it comes to offering something that is specific and tailored to their business I think that's when you have to realize that actually you're that's real value you're adding Mm. and people shouldn't I think we often feel as well with social media that we have immediate access to people. Yeah. And because it's there, we just think that we're just asking a simple question. I think often the question askers maybe don't even realise that it's like an infringement on privacy or boundaries. And actually it is our responsibility as content creators or social media people to create that boundary. Yeah, and I think, I guess, because it's social media, sometimes, even though you do know it's a person on the end of it, you don't at the same time. Yeah. Um, Because I know a lot of bloggers who, like, they'll tag, like, the clothes and stuff in their, like, Instagram post or whatever, and someone will message them and just say, like, bag, question mark, like, not even, like, tell me where your bag is from, please. And it's, like, as if you'd say that to someone in real life, mm-hmm. but you'd happily message someone and just be like, bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird so thing strange. That we think people owe stuff to us yeah or that because we put ourselves online we're therefore willing to say it all and tell it all yeah and I think do you know what you've really hit the head like the nail on the head for me for what really like annoyed me about that message was it was just so entitled like they felt entitled to my help and do you know what if they went through my blog they would have probably found the answer to their question yes I'm always linking people yeah I think people (laughs) get really annoyed because it's not self-promotion it's just I spent 40 minutes talking about this topic so why don't you just go and listen to it as opposed to me writing it out to you now yeah and it's hard to say in a way this doesn't sound really snobby because obviously I don't expect people to go and like read through my blog before I like yeah get back to them and if someone messages me and says hey could I claim like my glasses as an expense I'll just go back to them and be like yeah um I can imagine that's something that people would ask you but in terms of like it's a tax are they called tax tax deductibles? That's yeah, what I would call tax them. deductible expenses. I'm um, just message you like, can I take this off? Can I take this? Yeah, off? and that's fine because I know that anyway, and, and it's like, like yes I can or answer no. that super fast. Yeah, um, it's more when it takes a lot of research on my part because it's kind of like, uh, do you know how people go to the doctors and they get annoyed that the doctors googling their yeah. symptoms, but they can't possibly remember all that stuff and have it in their brain at all times because yeah. 
they'd probably go insane. That's like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Do you remember? It's the same with any profession. You've got to sort of do a bit of research. I always prepare like a lot before I have um, clients and I always ask them to fill out a little questionnaire beforehand because there's certain things specific to their business that I'll need to look into for them. Mm. So it really wouldn't be fair of me to do that for someone else and not charge them for it. Yeah, and actually from your perspective, probably more than from mine because I don't think you can really do anything in social media that's the end of the world. But if you're offering stuff out for free and you're asking people, answering very personal and specific questions, Mm -hmm. there's then a real responsibility on you to tell them the right thing. That's the thing, yeah. Because if you tell someone something because you're just quickly applying to a DM or you don't have half an hour to research it and then they get in huge trouble with HMRC as a result, you're then putting yourself in a position where you're kind of... Yeah, yeah, that boundary isn't just for the sake of you not wasting time, but it's also for the sake of them. Actually, yeah. If you really need to know something, you should probably pay for it as opposed yeah. to hope that someone will tell you for free. I know, exactly, and it's... I don't know, it's just a really hard thing. Like, it did really put me off when I first started. I was really scared to sort of say to people, like, yeah, you can do that, or no, you can't, because even yeah. though I knew that you could or couldn't, I was scared to say it because then I was sort of like confirming and I was like, what if I've got it wrong? And in my head, I was like, you know, you haven't got it wrong. Stop being daft. But you always kind of second guess yourself a little bit, I think. Yeah. And actually, do you know Mothers of Daughters? Mm, Yeah. She was on a podcast. I don't know. Maybe with Emma Gannon. Yeah, listen to that. It was either hers with Emma Gannon or her at home with, with Anna Anna Newton and Lily Pebbles. Yeah. I think they're names. Um, and she was talking actually on both of those, I think, about her boundaries mm. because she's obviously a midwife. And I, she just, it was really fascinating to suggest anyone that's listening to this to go and listen to them. Mm. But she's just saying, look, she was having people DMing her, like, my baby is yeah. not moving or my baby is ill. Or, and asking her all these questions, like, what should I do? And that's actually putting her in a really difficult position yeah. because you're then, you really need to go to a medical professional, which she obviously had this experience where people were coming to her and she just had to draw a line and just say, I'm not going to ever apply to DMs because I just can't be in that position. That's too much responsibility. Yeah. And I just think that's A, crazy that people would even do that, but also good on her because you do have to create your own boundaries sometimes. Yeah, I really respected her for saying that. Um, And she was on the high low as well with... um, Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. She's on quite a lot in like a short space of time. I feel like I really know her now. I know. <laughs> I know. I th- listen to loads in the same time, and I was like, because you know, often people do like podcast episodes in because they've got a book coming out or something. Yeah. But she hasn't got. So I was trying to work out like, oh, is there something going on? But yeah. I think she was just on a lot of podcasts. Yeah, but she. I really respect her for doing that, and I know that a lot of people with like a lot, like a lot of followers, they'll close their DMs. Or they'll sort of have them open at certain times because I can imagine how overwhelming it would be when I have like three unread messages. I'm like, oh my god, I need to reply right now. Yeah, I have to star them. Yes, I, I do that. So see, because I read them and reply in my head and be like, oh, I'll reply later. Especially if it's like, I, I try and reply to, like as a human rather than just send that like stupid red heart. That oh yeah. That's my pet peeve in the world. If you know the heart that you can just send automatically yeah. on Instagram DMs, if someone sends me that, I'm like. Don't like going anymore. Yeah, I just see that as like, right, this conversation is over. <laughs> All right. I'm like, cool, Bye. right, we're out. <laughs> but it is like, we're small businesses and we have small accounts, but it's mm. you can't even imagine what people must experience it on a large scale if we already find it overwhelming and a bit of an infringement on our privacy and our boundaries. You can imagine what it's like for someone with hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, and I think it's even as someone who 
get quite a few DMs, but not sort of an overwhelming amount. I do put off reading them and replying because I feel like a bit overwhelmed that mm. I have to like reply and I have to reply in a certain way. And I wouldn't want to ever give someone like, you know, a horrible, I'd never send a horrible message, but in my head, if I'm not in the best state of yeah. mind, like a good mood or something, it's not going to be as sort of thought out as it would yeah. if I'm in that kind of headspace. So when you're a bit stressed and you send an email and then you read it back and you're like, that was a bit passive aggressive. Yeah, I was listening to um, another podcast. We're both um, podcast lovers. So it was um, Sarah Tasker's podcast, Hashtag Authentic, and Kate Ferris was on it. And she was saying that even though she is quite big on Instagram and she's always saying to people, engage, 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 she actually finds it really difficult because she was sort of bullied by people who were like pretending to be her friends I think she said in uni and I sort of had the same experience like I was bullied when I was like in school yeah and I think that I always sort of think in the back of my head I'm quite scared to look at that message in case it's something nasty really yeah so it's but I'd never thought of that until she said it and I was like oh my god I do that I wouldn't even process that that would be a yeah I guess when you've had that experience it's a natural thing yeah because I think with me like I was really scared to do my business because I am legitimately terrified of someone sort of having a go at me yeah not so much now I've grown quite a thick skin but (laughs) especially at the beginning I was like oh I've got a message but what if it's something really nasty what if someone's saying like everything you're doing is wrong or yeah i remember that when i first pressed launch on my website i was like everyone from school is gonna laugh at me Scary. and i'm like no one really cared that much I was like, yeah. yeah but i do have it like, i have like um when the noise for my email comes up every time i feel a bit anxious yeah because i've had one or two maybe bad emails and mm-hmm. by bad i mean they probably wrote it just feeling a bit grumpy but i yeah. took it really badly and now whenever an email comes in the pit of my stomach's just like it's gonna be awful it's gonna be a complaint it's gonna be someone moaning and yeah i is. get that <laughs> But it's funny, isn't it? We have that. I've never even had a bad one, but whenever I see it, like that little Squarespace submission email, I'm like, oh yeah. my god. You're like, it's not. But I shared an experience the other day, and I did reply to it. I have like a, I was just talking to myself there. I have like a submission <laughs> thing on my on my website, like yeah. I don't know about you, but I get so many spam emails through it, like yeah. people trying to sell me loans or like credit card, whatever. So I pretty much delete every single one. I very mm. rarely get a contact form on my website that's legit. And it was one the other day that said, like, help. And I was like, oh, that's so not legit. Deleted it. And then um, someone emailed me, like, oh, I messaged you a week ago. Did you get my thing? And it was, like, a client inquiry. Like, <gasps> I want to book. And I was, like, fully booked by the time she would got back to me. And I just had this moment of, like, I was so used to it, just them just being, like, yeah. not real emails that I just completely ignored her. Yeah. Which is not that relevant <laughs> to this episode that I shared that story. But I'm sure it's something that a lot of people It was on with. topic. I get so many spam emails. Or people trying to sell me SEO services. Yeah. I get that a lot. I get a lot of VAs, um, and I don't have anything against VAs, but I would prefer it if rather than sort of emailing me and saying, can I help you with something, they had a specific thing they could help me with. Yeah. Um, and I think, do you follow uh, Sarah Aquasombi? She does the No Ball, no ball Business School. Yeah. And she she's quite like outspoken, and she basically said sort of, I don't really understand VAs. I get so many like messages from them in my inbox and they should be focusing on like a specific thing to help me with yeah and while I don't necessarily agree with that as a whole um I do really get where she was coming from because if someone sort of sends you an email asking for work you want them to tell you 
what they can specifically help yeah. you with. You don't want it to feel like just a blanket email they've sent to a load of people. Yeah, I've had emails before where they've like said my name at the start of the email, and then mm. you can tell they've just forgotten to change the name that they used Ooh. halfway through. It's <laughs> all my friends as well. I was like, I text my friend like, "Have you just got this email from this person?" <laughs> the same thing. Um, but it is. It's a. I think pitching sometimes we think it's something you shouldn't do but if you do it in the right way and you yeah. do it in a way that's specific to the person and shows the value you're going to add there's no problem with it yeah i'm trying to pitch three times a week at the moment not for clients more for like writing jobs or like speaking jobs that's really cool yeah so i haven't done it yet <laughs> this is like done last three week. this week I, I sort of revisited my business plan and i was like right i really want to put like more effort into actually going out and doing things rather than waiting things for yes. things to come to me um so yeah that's my aim for the next couple of months but um it's hard like your heart kind of goes into your stomach as you send but um yeah I think when you pitch it's really important to sort of not just kind of not like a speculative email of like these are the things that I do it's like yeah I like your business because of this and this is what I would like to do to help you out Mm -hmm. something like that just to show that you actually want to work with that person because you want to work with them as opposed to you just want money and you just yeah, want to get work exactly totally and I think you can tell when you're receiving an email kind of how it was sent and the heart yep. behind it <laughs> um and I've actually hired people off the back of pitch emails but yeah. it's always been ones which have been personal to me like I'm such a sucker for when people are like how's your dog or like yeah. how was your holiday in Dubai and I'm like they know me and I'm like all they've done is swipe like gone through my Instagram for five minutes but it makes a difference when someone pitches to you with when they already know you and they've put a bit of effort in, I think that just shows something. Yeah, like when you emailed me the other week and you were like, oh, I hope you enjoyed your holiday. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. Like, <laughs> I'm just nosy. I was, I never quite know where the line is when I'm chatting to people. Also, I think I was thinking about this the other day, yesterday. We need a word that isn't friend, but isn't work. Acquaintance. Acquaintance. <laughs> because, or maybe they are friends, but I know so many people like yourself, like small business owners mm-hmm. that I would say like I'm friends with. Yeah. But it's not the same friends that I would call my friends. Yeah, but like it's not an acquaintance. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't we need another word that's like people that I know everything that's going on in their lives. We may not have never ever met face to face, but we yeah. like each other's Instagrams. Yeah, we chat on Messenger. <laughs> we, we slide into the DMs every now and again. Do you ever like show something to like your parents or like someone older than you on Instagram or like Twitter and they're like, Who's that? and you just go, uh that's my friend, as opposed to like it's just some random person with loads of followers that I yeah, follow. Yeah, my well. parents still don't really understand who my clients are, how they find me, who I do podcast episodes with. Do they just assume that I just like cold call people? I was like, it's fine. You can believe that. Yeah, I think it's quite hard to explain the kind of business that you do because a lot of people don't get it, and I found that really hard at the beginning because. Mm people kept being like well-meaning and like just trying to look out for me being like I don't think people would pay for that and I'm like I think they would they are paying <laughs> but now so. I just kind of said they're like how's business and I'm like oh yeah it's going really well yeah I hate that question mm. how's business I know as if you'd ask someone like how's your job you about to get fired or yeah. how much right? have you made this month I know people are like how's business and I'm like I actually had this a few months ago my business was a bit like not on the rocks, but mm. that would be a good word for it to sum it up. And I remember every time someone asked me how's business, I just had no clue what to say. Because if yeah. I said, like, Itch struggling with this, <laughs> haven't got many clients, not quite sure what to do, they would just go, oh, okay, sorry to hear that. Like, it, yeah, I don't there's no right know response people, to that. It's when people ask, how are you? Like, if I actually said, like, oh, yeah, I'm actually feeling really depressed today, and rah, 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 like, as if... Yeah. Often people don't really, I think, want the answer that they receive. So I think it's, it's just okay. a, like, I say, like, you're right, it's like, hello. Yeah. 
like no one's ever gone no I'm, I'm rubbish but uh, how are you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think as well like I was really like I like that you talked about that really openly because I felt like that for like the first six months of this year I was yeah. like oh my god I made a huge mistake no, what am I gonna do you about it and you feel like a failure if yeah. you do talk and that like I'll put my hands up people say oh you're brave for talking about it but I'm talking about it now with a booked out calendar exactly I didn't talk about it when I didn't have any clients and I probably still wouldn't talk about it if in six months I was in the same position because there is fear and we don't like we like to tell us we like to tell the the vulnerable stuff in inverted commas yeah when there's a a line going up at the end yeah. like we like to talk about the bad days but only when we've got a good day afterwards that we can say it gets better yeah or look where I've come or I just don't think it's that normal to be like, this is going really badly. I have no clue what to do. Yeah, and I think I'm only just at the point now where I'm starting to get more booked out. But for those first few months, Mm. I was just like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do if this doesn't work out? Yeah. Um, I remember just thinking, like, I actually am worthless and nobody cares about what I'm offering and it's not relevant and whatever. And other people would, you know, people put, like, now booking for April 2019. And I'd be like, now booking for today because yep. I have no clients. So what's <laughs> But we don't, um, that's not a normalised thing, but I think it totally should be. And it's really lonely because you feel like you're the only one who feels like that. Because everyone else is putting on this, even if it's not conscious, I think we all do put on a front of how mm, busy we are, we've got exciting things going on and everything's great. Yeah. But it's not always... I try not to do that, like, really consciously because I know that from seeing other people saying it does make you feel like crap. Mm. Um, something I was thinking about the other day, though is that now my business started taking off like properly in sort of early July and then last week I had quite a big week because I wrote um, an article for a magazine and I got onto this like entrepreneur accelerator thing so I'll be working with NatWest and people are like oh my god like you're doing amazing things and blah. but I just feel like it's still me doing the same stuff but now people care because there's like yes. a thing where you can say oh she was in this yeah. and I'm still like well I'm still the same person and I'm glad that I'm helping people but also I, I'm trying not to feel like my business is everything and that's yeah. the reason why people like me because I think it could if something went wrong with it then and I tied all my worth up into it then I would obviously feel you know yeah. horrendous if something bad happened oh gosh, I totally agree with that because I don't think anything changed changed really from my end but yeah. somehow people started hearing about me following me being interested in me and liking what I was doing but I just thought, I remember stopping and just being like, I've not changed anything. I'm still putting the same things out there. I'm still sharing the same things, but for some reason it's really hitting a chord. Yeah, um, it's peaks and troughs, isn't it? It's completely normal, but no yeah. one talks about it. Everyone makes it seem like, oh, like, I just did this, and then suddenly it was I've really got successful. such exciting projects going on, and look what I'm doing, and rah, rah, rah. Yeah, and that's great, and I do encourage people to shout about that, because mm. it's nice, and yeah, people ways, should be recognised <laughs> for their accomplishments, but at the same time... I try and share like the rubbish days sometimes. Although I have to say, like on the rubbish days, I don't usually feel like going on Instagram really. No, and I think sometimes that's a good thing. It is. Yes. Everything when it comes to boundaries and figuring out what you share online is just a balance. Mm. And I think the frustration thing is definitely I find there's no right or wrong. Yeah. There's no guidebook. There's no, no what you should and shouldn't share. And it is totally up to you, and that's an amazing thing, but also a really tricky thing. Because it's, it's like, hard. Yeah. I'm having a bad day. I'm not going to leverage that for content, but I still want to be authentic. Like, what does that balance look like? Yeah, like, I think if you look at Zoella, so Zoella sort of brought the whole mental illness. She Mm. kind of opened up that conversation. And I know people slate her, but I actually really respect her for doing that. She was the first person 
that kind of she wrote about panic attacks and I was like oh my god that is what's been happening to me for yeah. like the past 10 years um I never knew there was a thing that I could put a name on it I just thought it was a bit weird mm-hmm. um, but she got kind of pigeonholed into being like that girl with anxiety and she's spoken before about how she doesn't regret talking about it but she wishes that people didn't just see her as that yeah because it's quite it, it's quite it must be quite hard to be known for something like that mm. so you kind of think i don't want to be the person who always talks about like yeah you don't want to be known for your successes and what you've done or what you've been featured in or what you necessarily yeah but you don't want to be known for that people who like moans all the time or yeah. like always like oh gosh, just crying that. i on think their i'm really negative online I, I, think, I don't know i i just genuinely use my social media just as a bit of like a expression yeah um but i think sometimes i'm like Maybe I should share some of the good stuff because I'm so anti like showing all the perfect highlight things. reel. I think sometimes I'm a bit the other way of like, look how bad my life is right now. I've just, never thought that about your Instagram. <laughs> thank you. Maybe it's just because I'm living it. I'm like, I think worse. that, yeah. It's always different from your perspective, isn't it? But, I always think like with what I shared the other day about like sort of knowing your boundaries and where to price and like what. Like, I always feel like, oh, I'm doing this again. I really shouldn't post about this because it's quite negative. But actually, every time. I'm really open about something that I've been worried about yeah. sharing. I get so many messages saying, Literally. like, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I've always found, and I hate the phrase engagement, even though I probably use it all the time, <laughs> it, it it's encouraging but also a bit scary how yeah. good engagement we get from vulnerability. Because I think the risk is that we start being vulnerable for the sake of engagement, and yeah. that is a really dangerous You can't use that to, to validate yourself. No. It's not... Um, healthy but it's definitely true that when we're open and authentic and real it does just open up something with other people people are more willing to share people respond better and i think i think it's a bit of an american phrase i don't know i've heard it from but when people see your failures they're far more willing to celebrate with you on the successes because they've seen the full picture of it i think that's really true yeah i really agree with that um and I think I found that once I started being a bit more myself on social media, that was really mm. when I started to get clients and stuff because people could see the person behind the business and the business had a face. Yes. Um, and they knew, they knew that if they messaged me, then they would get an actual human response. Yeah, as opposed to like saying we and us. and Yeah, and I did I do that around. at the start, but I quickly was like, yeah. mm, if I was working with a small business and it was just one person I'd want to know, and I actually would kind of go out of my way to work with someone when I know it's just like a one girl band kind of thing. Yeah, because I think especially when you're hiring someone for a service-based thing, whatever it is, mm. really just as important as what they're offering is who they are. So I think it is important for us when we're talking about charging our worth is considering the worth that's added because of us as a person. Yeah. Which we don't always think about. And it feels a bit weird like charging because... I've got this personality trait that's really helpful. I'm really good at helping people with this thing, but actually that's part of it as well. Yeah, it's like when you go to hairdressers, like, I don't know about you, but I always tend to go to the same, like, ask for the same oh, guy so who loyal. does my hair yeah. because I like the way he does it and he has a chat with me and stuff. Mm. So I kind of see that as, like, an extension of the business. Like, you always kind of have a favourite person who you deal with. Yeah. So it actually is really important because if they, someone came to your business, say I like opened up loads of branches where people could go and like get a financial consultation or something. Yeah. And the staff weren't as like warm as me or they weren't, they didn't explain things very well. That would really damage the business. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. So I think, yeah, like you as a person bring a lot of value. And I think and on your episode about like personal branding, that really like got me thinking yeah. about it because I was like, 
it is really true like even though I have a personal Instagram where I just share like loads of rubbish and like blurry pictures and makeup <laughs> and stuff um I do think it's kind of like my personal brand is why the business does mm, well because totally. people like watch those stories especially stories for some reason always kind of people make you feel like you know someone do you know what I'm thinking about at the moment it's a bit of a a little thing experiment I might do I'm tempted to archive archive I don't know which words are correct <laughs> every single one of my posts and just <gasps> see what would happen if for a month I've existed purely on stories and didn't use posts because I genuinely I've, we're on a real tangent here by the way <laughs> um, but I genuinely would probably prefer Instagram if I didn't have to do any posts I think I don't like posts I feel pressured yeah They're they too do put a lot of pressure on I don't find they get the engagement that I feel is relevant to what I've put into it or what mm. the engagement I get on stories is so much more than the engagement I get on a post I think because you can message and you know that not everyone's gonna see it and there's so much worry now about like does this comment look like I'm a bot <laughs> um, yeah and like because you can't just reply with an emoji but sometimes that's an appropriate comment to make it's yeah. just like I don't emoji. really comment on people's photos unless I've really got a specific comment to make because I think we don't have to reply back to comments and I feel like I'm more likely to have a conversation with them, which is what I want, if yeah. I DM them, yeah. rather than just leave a comment. I feel the same, although I do always reply to comments unless they are spam yeah, comments, too. and then I delete them, because that's quite bad for engagement. Yeah, when they're like, great content, please post more. Please DM me for a collab. Like, I don't know who you are. Like, why are you like, commenting on my post? <laughs> oh, yeah, funny. I really enjoy posting on Instagram now, and from that I found my engagement's gone up, because... I'm not worrying about, I've got to post at 5pm every day and I've got to put 30 hashtags. I'm just like, yeah. here's a nice picture. Enjoy. I've actually never used a hashtag in my life. Really? Yeah, I don't teach hashtags. I they do hashtag. work. They do I know. Work. I think I'm just not willing to learn about them. Probably I shouldn't say that as a digital marketing case, should I? <laughs> it's really interesting as like, um, having two Instagram accounts and my personal one's got like twice as many followers as my business account, but it has no engagement really. If I don't use a hashtag, it doesn't get that many likes. Whereas on my um, Easy as Fat one, I get loads of DMs, get loads of comments. Interesting. Yeah, it's really weird. Maybe I should test them out. I think my experience of hashtags, I've probably just never put in the work to find the right ones. But I remember once or twice I tried them and I just found that what I got in return was spam. But I think yeah, you I get wasn't, spam. probably wasn't using them in the right way and wasn't willing to put in the work. So I, that they worked yeah. well. I hate when people put them in the caption, like not as opposed to like when they just put a load at the end of the caption, but when they actually put them in the caption to so like at the hashtag. Oh office. my gosh. And a lot of social media brands <laughs> do it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, how can you make money from this when you can't use Instagram properly? Yeah, it pains me. What are you telling people? I can't read the caption when it gets that point. It's so cringe and it's you can tell that that person doesn't really know what they're doing. It's like yes. a dead giveaway. But you can't say that because that's rude. No. And it might work for them, I don't know. But it just... Say something to them. I think maybe if... Because I think we've both probably grown up with Instagram. Yeah. And had it from quite a young age. Yeah, so. it's like second nature to us. Like, I'll do yeah. things and people like... Like, someone the other day was like, I didn't realise you could change fonts on stories. Yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah, so I think <laughs> we've just sort of, like, grown with it. And we know, sort of... It's like that secret, sort of... You know what's acceptable and what isn't, but it's not really written down anywhere. Yeah, the unwritten rules of Instagram. There's like, unwritten rules of business, though, everywhere. But none of us talk about it. This, yeah. I think this is a lot Maybe of we should. Maybe we should, we should make, make a podcast a book. about that. The unwritten rules of life. 
and us very unqualified to tell people (laughs) anything about their lives. Um, We've gone on a real tangent there, but... Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Who knows what I'm going to call this episode, something about pricing yourself. Many tangents. Um, I've got one last question to ask you. Okay. Because I think it's something we all face. What are your top tips for getting your invoices paid because oh my gosh have we all been there when (laughs) invoices are overdue and you send the kind of friendly email or you don't hear back or they just don't get paid and it's awful that that is normal yeah but I think it does happen what's your experience of that and what would you advise um I think that the first thing is to kind of be confident and show that you're experienced and you're professional um in your sort of communication with whoever's going to be paying your invoice because people do notice these things and they will think kind of, maybe not consciously, but maybe subconsciously, oh, I can take the piss a bit with that. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this? Go for it. Yeah, so if you kind of come off as a bit naive, they're going to think, I can kind of mess them about a bit. Probably not on purpose, but just. Um, So obviously, you know, always spell check your emails and always make sure your invoices have the right amount and the right bank details on. Double, triple check those. Um, Because you definitely don't want to get them wrong. Um, also use like a contract that's really important yes um, so if they don't kind of send one over for you to sign sort of have a template that you use and it should just basically include your details their details any important dates like when you're going to start work when mm-hmm. it needs to be done by what you're doing and just as importantly what you will not be doing because sometimes people will be like yeah, oh we well, didn't do this but it was never talked about yeah um, your payment terms and what will happen if they don't pay you on time so like legal action you can add interest charges um, and you can add 8% plus the Bank of England base rate which is 0.75% at the moment so you could charge interest of 8.75% on any late payments how of, like how often is that percentage um, added? it's up to you really you can mm. say it's added every week every month every hour yeah <laughs> every minute just keep growing it um <laughs> But yeah, um, so yeah, so that's sort of like the preventional stuff. Yeah, prevention is always better than cure. Um, if they do pay you late, um, don't be afraid to follow up. Like, so many people are scared to yeah. seem like grabby, but actually, that's money that you've earned. Yeah, especially so. if you've done. I don't do this anymore, but I used to do the work first and then charge for it. Yeah, and I didn't have contracts in place, and I never quite felt like I had the authority behind me to mm. chase invoices. But the second I switched it around where I got money beforehand and had my contracts redone by you, I obviously now have the kind of assurance of like, oh no, you've signed something that says that I can charge you extra because you haven't paid or legal action. And I think it's sometimes giving yourself that bit of security in having your contract or having something laid out so that you've got something to say as opposed to just please pay me, I need the money now. You can be like, well, this is what's going to happen if you don't. Yeah, and that reminds me of another one actually, if you can't get paid in advance yes don't it's hard in some industries like i think writing is generally like invoice based but if it's a really big project sometimes those things get pulled and then that leaves yeah. you with no money so don't be afraid to charge a deposit yeah or like half the fee up front that kind of thing mm. if anything that kind of makes people see that you're a professional because you're confident enough to ask for that yeah um and yeah if they're late don't be afraid to keep getting in touch if the person you were 
kind of in contact with to begin with stops responding mm. um finance departments is always a good one to contact because they're probably the ones who are kind of paying the invoices uh, and they'll probably have no clue that they're meant to pay yeah they'll Some probably just be like oh yeah we do have an invoice for you like i'll just pay it now um a lot of the time it is just the case of someone's forgot and they'll pay as soon as you chase them up yeah um if it's like a small business also sometimes mm. the ceo or the director because obviously they don't want people thinking badly of their company. Yeah. And you'd be surprised what you can find on Google <laughs> in terms of contact details. That um, sometimes like ringing is actually a lot more effective because yeah, you can easily ignore through. an email. Yeah. Very you, true. You can't really ignore a phone call um, or send in a letter because that seems scarily formal in this Ooh, digital like age. <laughs> um, obviously, if it gets to the point where, you know, it's been a long time and yeah. you're waiting on a lot of money can take legal action you a lot of solicitors will actually give you free advice that's Depends good too some will some won't find out um a lot of them will send like a solicitor's letter for a quite small fee um i think people think that solicitors are really expensive but not necessarily um for that kind of thing um and you can like make a claim through the small claims court which can be expensive but you can also reclaim the cost of getting your money back uh, you can add that onto what they owe you yeah so like your oh, legal really fees helpful. and stuff so yeah um obviously that's hopefully like a really sort of yeah. you know if there's nothing else yes um worst case scenario <laughs> um but generally people have just forgotten to pay you because they have other stuff to do so a little yeah. nudge you'd be surprised how many people don't chase up on invoices yeah like, or even don't realize i have to set calendar reminders because yeah. mine are, i think i have like five days yeah because i used to have 28 and i was like I want my money quicker than 28 days. Yeah. So I was like, well, no one's telling me to stay 28. So I changed it to five. And I have a reminder in my calendar that says this invoice is due. Because otherwise sometimes I just forget. Yeah. And that's not the best thing to yeah. do. <laughs> I do that. I'm actually working on something at the moment that's going to kind of make it easier. So it'll track when you've sent one and your terms. And then it'll like give you a little reminder that's to cool. do it. But actually check that it comes very, in. Very early stages at the moment. So. so if people want to find you off the back of this episode, this is such a long recording. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologise. I might split it into two. I might keep it as one. We'll wait and see. Um, <laughs> but if people want to like connect with you, find you, book you, book your services or join your courses off the back of this episode, where do you want them to get in touch? Where can they find you? Um, best place is probably my website. That's easyasvat.com. And there's loads of free resources and it's also got a bit more information about what I do and how I can help you. Um, all my social media handles are just at easy as that and I like a good chat on Twitter and Instagram so don't be shy <laughs> nice all these your places and you've got a podcast yes podcast called easy numbers um, it's on SoundCloud and it's also on iTunes so you can just search for it on there nice and you do solo episodes about money and then you do guest episodes yeah so I try and like alternate it um, so yeah I've just started a new season last week so um I've got some cool guests coming up, so and there's a, a lot of cool guests who've been on it before as well. So, ah, thank you so much for joining me today. We're off to have some lunch. Yay! Thank Which you for having me. <laughs>